Okay, welcome back to the Lacrosse Thinker podcast, and today we have Dr. Anne Galbraith, associate professor coming from the Department of Biology, and we will be talking about epigenetics. Thanks for joining us. Yes, you're welcome. Okay, so we got this、uh, topic from your students, and I become super excited. And then I talk with you through email. Turns out actually you're not doing research in this area. No, I mean maybe. Peripherally, but but my primary interest is not in this area. I just think it's really really fascinating. Great. So、yeah. the way we are going to construct it today will be like a mini course. It's、sure. just like pretending you're teaching a course to a freshman. Perfect. Now I'll actually go from chapter one, chapter two, all the way to chapter seven. I do this all the time. It should be easy. <laughs> okay. So、um, let's start with what is epigenetics and what's the connection with real genetics? Okay. So、um, so people probably are familiar with the fact that. You have genes that dictate certain traits that you have, and that kind of thing,、um, and that's all true. That's still true,、um, and you can change those traits by getting mutations in those genes, and that you know gives us different、um, what we call phenotypes, or they look certain ways, look differently than what a normal looks like, whatever normal is.、Um, but epigenetics is is that you get some changes like that, except. That it's not changing the DNA at all in terms of the actual sequence of the letters. So、um, a, a, a typical mutation you would、um, like say change an ACCC to an ACCG, and now that means you get a slightly different version of a protein made, and then you have some different trait as a result of that.、Um, but with epigenetics, that change doesn't happen. It's still ACCC. But what happens is that other、um, proteins that are bound to the DNA change how they are sticking, and、um, that affects how much、um, transcription you get. So, in other words, genes are just information, right? So, if you have a dic- dusty dictionary、um, sitting on a shelf, and dictionaries are books that have words in them with definitions,、um, or if you have a dusty computer that you don't open up and, and use.、Um, The information is worthless. So、um, having DNA is not what necessarily gives you your traits, but using it in some capacity. And so the first step in using that information is called transcription. So you make a copy of the information so that you can use that copy to produce a building block or or whatever it is that's going to、um, give you your trait.、Um, So the same thing happens in epigenetics, except that it's just how many of those building blocks that you're making, not that they are different from a normal version. So the literal definition of epigenetics is just above genetics. It's just like another layer now of of、um, the different kinds of traits you can get as a result of your DNA. So it's after genetics. Right. You store all the information. You choose how to manifest. Which right, one got to、right. manifest? And, and it's and it's not. And I don't get to. It's just. It is another automatic thing that happens. So,、um, so now you have your regular gene that produces some protein that does some job. Okay.、Um, and now what epigenetics does is it controls when or how many of those proteins you make. Mm-hmm. And they're still there. It's, you're still able to make those proteins, and they do that job, but your cells are shutting it off, or not using it, or not building it, or building way more of them, or something like that. So all of that is controlled. Like the cells、um, automatically put little tags on the DNA that help influence how much of that product you're making,、mm-hmm. um, and those tags、um, are little. 
bits of chemistry that get stuck on there, and a lot, most of that comes from um, other molecules in your cells, primarily, I mean, and ultimately from the food you eat, right? So um, one scenario that, that I like to talk about is um, if, you know, so we're told, for example, to eat certain kinds of foods because they're healthy for us um, and maybe are anti-cancer. Okay, so I'm going to step back now and talk a little bit about the background as to why that matters. So um, there's all kinds of um, reasons for cancer development. Um, I'm going to focus primarily on just a, a few things that lead to that. So let's say that, um, so you have a bunch of genes that produce proteins that help your cells grow at the appropriate time. Most of the cells that we have right now as adults are not actively growing anymore. We don't need to make lots of cells because we're not getting larger um, in terms of, you know, as, as opposed to going from an infant to a full-grown adult size. Um, but we do have to make some new cells once in a while. So our skin cells are getting replaced all the time. Um, the inside of our digestive tract gets replaced. Our hair grows hopefully, um, and um, a number of other cells. If there's damage to cells, you replace those. So there's a little bit of that that happens. Um, all of those, that cell division, all that making new cells is really strictly controlled by a whole bunch of proteins that are made from genes. And um, sometimes those um, genes get mutated and now the proteins that they make are broken. They don't work the way they're supposed to. And if you have the right set of those broken genes in the same cell, that can ultimately lead to cells now that are growing when they're not supposed to. So if you have um, cells that, that are in your lung and there's no reason for your cells to be growing, but now suddenly you have some crazy rogue cell that has acquired mutations in a bunch of these genes, it might be able to grow now when it wasn't supposed to, and then you get a tumor. Okay, super oversimplified, but that's the idea. Okay, um, so we've known about this for a long time, that mutations in our own genes can lead to disease like cancer. Um, but on top of that, now we have this whole um, epigenetics bit that also happens. It's not just about whether the proteins work, it's how many of them there are, or when they are being made. And so our cells put these little tags on our genes to control when they are used to make proteins, how much of the protein you build, in what cell types you are producing these things. And so now, and it doesn't change the DNA sequence. Like I said before, it's still the same letters and all of that. The protein you make is perfectly normal looking. It's just that it's being made at the wrong time or it's made in too much abundance or it's not made enough. And all of those things are controlled by the amounts of these little tags that get put on our DNA. Who put those contacts? The, cell, You're does. Cell. the cell does. So epigenetic genetic process is controlled by a cell, the yep, cell? it is, right. And what will actually make them start to control or start to so, malfunction? So there's, there's cert, so, there, so they're supposed to put a certain amount of tags. So there's like a normal situation, whatever that is, which we're still trying to learn. So, so there's a normal series of these tags all across your genome that allow you to develop properly and grow up into an adult and do all the things you're supposed to do and different cell types and all, all the stuff. Um, but what can happen is you 
lose the ability to put those tags on appropriately or you start putting them on the wrong places. And some of that could be because of mutation in other genes, but some of it is also, you can imagine that you're, you're acquiring those tags from your diet and because they come in on the food that you eat and we break those pieces off and then we use them to tag our DNA. Um, now, if you're not getting enough of those or whatever, the, you know, these little molecules, then every time you make new DNA, you have to put all those tags back on, hmm. right? So, so you have to put them across all the genes in the same way that they were before. Well, anytime you, your cell slips up and is either unable to put them on correctly or can't because you didn't provide it with the right molecules, um, now it's possible that that cell is not going to tag all of its genes correctly. So now let's imagine that one of the genes or some of the genes that are not tagged correctly are involved in controlling cell growth. So now you end up with um, a cell that has perfectly normal looking DNA in terms of the sequence, but it's not producing the proteins in the right amounts. And now that cell is able to do something that it could not do before. It's changed its trait, it's changed its phenotype. And it's possible that that might lead to that cell growing when it shouldn't be and could ultimately lead to cancer or some other, you know, some other disorder. Um, so, so yeah, that's we, when people say like uh, eating broccoli will cure, yeah, like, it's healthy for cancer. Yeah, so that kind of thing. And, and, and maybe, you know, and, and, and again, and I don't want people to all run out now <laughs> and go like crazy with eating all the, because we don't know why exactly these things work. There's the studies that are done with foods and that kind of thing are typically correlation studies, right? So they have a group of people who ate broccoli all day and they have a group of people who ate cheeseburgers all day and this happened in one group therefore this is connected to but they don't know that it, the broccoli went in and did something specific that requires um, other kinds of studies that are still you know the, not as clear right so um, but it does show that there's like something going on that might be I mean I would eat broccoli instead of cheeseburgers if I was strong um, so um, so the so I'm just going to tell you like some of these studies, right? So, um, and, and a lot of them, I guess, are correlation studies as well. So for example, um, there's some studies in rats where um, a mom rat has a bunch of offspring. So she has a bunch of rat babies and um, moms are supposed to be they show their love, right? Rat love, rat love to their children is licking them. Okay, so a lot of animals do that, right? Cats do that, whatever. So they're they're licking their pups and they nurse them and do all the things that rat moms are supposed to do. Well, once in a while you get a weird mom who's not maternal, and so she has her babies and she's just like meh, doesn't lick them. You know, they try to nurse and she might just get up and walk off. But even if she does nurse them, she's not showing them that rat love, which is to lick them, right? So then they take those rat pups and they let them grow up and become adult rats. And it turns out that the rats as adults who were loved by their mothers in that licking way um, are normal rats. They have normal rat behavior versus the rats that were not shown that maternal affection 
um, grow up to be rats that are anxious. They are unable to um, respond to stress as well and that kind of stuff. So, the, so a study like that that's showing that um, some sort of behavior early is changing how the rat brain develops. Well, then they started looking more closely at, well, what is it that's different? Like, I mean, is it just that they're like, is that some sort of weird environmental thing only? Is there something genetic to that? And it turns out that in a lot of these cases, when they've actually looked closer, the tags that are put on the DNA of genes are different in rats that grow up to be anxious versus rats that grow up to be so psychological rat. and social yes. behavior does change it, how the yeah. gene manifests themselves yeah it may it may wow. have something to do with behavior too which is super weird and cool and awful all at the same time um so i think that's biological right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so no. one of my favorite studies mm -hmm. right was um well and then they've done some stuff with humans too where they just had um, groups of humans women who were pregnant um in during a war, so not enough food, right? Mm -hmm. So time of famine kind of situation versus women pregnant during times of food aplenty. And um, when their children would grow up, um, the kids who were being developed from the women who did not have enough nutrients, um, they during, the pregnancy. during the pregnancy only, tended to have more diseases that were adult onset like schizophrenia was one I remember um, and now we're pretty I mean a lot of work has been done on schizophrenia it seems to be a developmental disorder it's even though it doesn't manifest itself until later mm -hmm. um, so something about not having those nutrients during pregnancy is affecting how the genes are functioning probably because of how these little tags are getting put on and controlling the amounts of proteins needed during development of the brain. And then it leads to disease. So now let's think about this for a second. <laughs> so, so now let's say that um, a woman is pregnant. That means that if she's not getting whatever the right amount of nutrition is, um, she could be impacting that future child for into adulthood and potentially causing um, some sort of um, change in their um, portrayal of certain traits even later in the future. Um, and that leads us to the next thing. So when I was um, in college, I got pregnant when I was 19. And I was, of course, had no money because college kids don't have a lot of money. And so, but one of the things that I craved when I was pregnant was a certain brand that will not be mentioned of apple pie. Okay. Those little, little tiny ones you get from a vending machine. Um, and I hate them now. And I hated them before. Um, but I couldn't get, and so we had a vending machine in school, so I would like see them and want them. And I remember eating them and wanting them, right? So I'm getting a lot of this apple pie nutrients, whatever that is, along with whatever else. Okay. Um, so I'm, this is my diet, right? So I'm eating this certain kind of food while I'm pregnant. Um, and that is affecting my now daughter's um, genes because my diet is going to be not only putting tags on the cells that I am growing, 
while I'm pregnant, but also on this developing fetus that's going on inside me. So, um, and that diet is what impacts how her cells are gonna behave when she is born. Okay, now let's add one more step. So in mammals like us, while my daughter was developing inside me, she is producing the, or starting to produce the eggs that she would use in any future pregnancies that she has. So right now I have three grandkids, okay? Um, so the eggs that were used to produce those three grandchildren, their tags on their DNA were also impacted by my hook, almost said it, my apple pie eating and whatever else I was eating, okay? So now I've not only impacted the genes of my next generation, but also of two generations down. So um, certain genes in my grandchildren may have been influenced, in terms of how they're used in them, may have been influenced by me and what my environment was. So you could even take that a step further. I don't know of any studies, I'm sure there are some, but um, so it might not be just diet, it might be also things we're exposed to, right? So toxins in the environment, all, you know, whatever it is that we're living through at this moment could impact two generations from now. Does it stop there or actually they can even go further? Well, it probably goes further. Goes so, further. so, and this is called transgenerational um, inheritance because now it's, it's not that I'm just influencing my next generation with the genes I actually own and mutations that I might have, but also how they are tagged and that can go on through subsequent generations. So is it fair to say like uh, epigenetics is inherit? Yes, it absolutely is, huh. yes. So we inherit um, from our parents not only the genes themselves and any mutations and all that kind of business, um, but we also inherit how they are tagged. And um, that tagging process, again, is what controls how those genes are used, which means um, if we don't have um, the tagging right in our own eggs and sperm, then that will influence the next generation as well. <coughs> um, and it's not just women. So they've done a bunch of studies then also, it's, you know, it's like, it's not just that it's women's fault that, you know, generations are going to be doomed yeah. or whatever. There also appears to be some of this transgenerational inheritance through the male line also. Um, but it's not really well understood how that would work. At least, you know, at least with female, t like I know that inside me, while there was a girl developing, she was developing her future eggs. So that kind of makes sense to me. But there's also inheritance of these tags on sperm to the next generation to the next generation as well. And that's a little less clear, at least to me, how that would pass on. But here's a really cool study that was done that um, showed this a little bit. So there was a paper that came out a few years ago <coughs> where this group was looking at um, fears. So people are afraid of heights or afraid of snakes or afraid of like tunnels like me, um, things that are irrational, right? So I can't, I don't like being in a tunnel. Like when I drive through a tunnel, I close my eyes. 
Oh, really? <laughs> Unless I'm driving and then I just squint because I just I just want to be through it. Like, And as long as I can see the end, I'm okay. But sometimes there's tunnels that kind of go around a curve and I'm just like very uncomfortable. But, you know, I'm a grown up, so I've figured out how to power through, but I prefer not to be in there. Um, so nobody should ride with me when I'm driving through a tunnel. Um, so they're irrational fears, right? There's nothing scary about a, a hole <laughs> that you're going through, but, but I am afraid of them. Um, and people think, all right, so if you're f afraid of something and it's actually affecting your life, um, psychologists and other folks are always trying to figure out how do we get you over that, right? So especially, like, what if somebody's afraid to come outside? Now they're stuck in their house forever. That's affecting their life. So they come up with different ways to try to f treat that, right? And one way is like aversion therapy, you know, like just make the person do the thing that they're scared of over and over until it doesn't, you know, yeah, doesn't face scare them anymore, yeah, you know, that kind exposure. of exposure. Whatever, all these, are, okay. So this is sort of what this group was studying was fears that were um, learned or irrational. <clears throat> so how they set this up is that they had some male mice and they trained them to be afraid of a smell. And so um, basically they stuck them in their little cages and they would waft in this smell that's kind of like a cherry almond smell. It's a specific chemical. They knew, um, they know the gene that's responsible for um, detecting that odor. Um, and so they had some, you know, they had some knowledge of what was responsible for smelling it so that they could look at the gene later also to see about the tagging. Um, so they trained them to be afraid of the smell by wafting the smell in and when it wafts in, the mouse is zapped with an electric shock. Mm -hmm. So they get the male mice and they started with all male just to make it more simplistic than mixing the two kinds. And um, they they train these male mice so now what they can do instead is they'll um they'll just waft in the smell and the mouse suddenly is like like knows it's gonna happen so now now they're not just fearing this shock which hurts but they actually think they associate that shock with the smell and so now when they smell it they instantly are responding in fear so th they've been trained to be afraid of a smell so they took the mice and let them have babies with some normal untrained females. And when they looked at their uh, offspring, and they, again, they just focused on the males at that point. <clears throat> they looked at these male babies that let them grow up and they were gonna do more tests on this, whatever. Um, a, a large percentage of the mice were already afraid of the smell. They had never been trained to be afraid of the smell. Did they actually spend a lot of time with their father? Nope. I mean, they did. I, they, I'm sure they thought like all kinds of. Otherwise, like, it's a social. Dad head, yeah. is telling yeah. the kid like, <laughs> "Junior, stay away from the smell." But they so they did all these things to make sure that that was not happening. That it was not a training thing or an environmental thing. So they would, you know, they went so far, I think, as to even like do artificial insemination. So the male wasn't even in the same room as the mm -hmm. female when the when the new kid was being developed. So in any event. Um, they did all the controls to make sure that it was strictly had to have come some genetic material from the dad that went to that son and made that son now afraid of the smell without having been trained. And it wasn't all of them. 
but it was a fair number. Then they took those male mice, so now it's the children, the male mice that are afraid of the smell without being trained, and they had they let them have babies. So now we're the second generation out. Um, and again, a percentage of those offspring were also afraid of the smell. So it's almost so genetically somehow um, these mice now have been trained to be have an irrational fear because initially it wasn't an irrational fear because the original dads they were getting zapped with electric shock. That's not irrational. Um, so they were in an environment where they just learned that the smell is a bad thing, and somehow that got sent on to the next generation even though that generation was never exposed to the shock at all. And so you can imagine if this worked in humans, right? So maybe somebody back in your ancestry, you know, got bit by a venomous snake and went through a horrible agonizing recovery and now, you know, and so even though I will not get bit by a venomous snake, you know, I would automatically like, oh, no, get away from me, that kind of thing. Or I don't know, some horrible tunnel accident in my case or something, right? So, um, so it's kind of cool because you think, oh, my God, maybe some of these weird things that we do are inherent and you know because it doesn't make sense we didn't i didn't learn huh? nobody told me like tunnels are bad and scary and you should stay away i mean it's just something that i have about me that there's no explanation for um Did, uh, what how big of the percentage are you talking about i don't remember that's and it was a small big, sample small. size and all that but it's mm -hmm. been done over i mean it's you know they published this right away because it was like interesting, what yeah. the heck yeah. And then, of course, they've redone it. And what about the daughters? They did. So that was the next thing. Perfect. Perfect segue. Okay. Um, so they also then said, well, is it just males? Because, you know. And so they also did the same kinds of things with female mice. And they, and they also followed through the same. So um, the, the trained mothers um, would fear the smell, obviously, and then their daughters would fear, and sons. I mean, so they did all the mix and match. It was just that very first time they just did males and males and males, um, but then they expanded it and did all kinds. So basically from your parenting, no matter it's from the father's side or mother's side, no matter you're a daughter it, it's, or son, in this it's For this particular one thing, okay. it's, you know, right? The fear of this smell. Um, and then they went one step further at the end. And this was a, a few years ago when techniques weren't as good as they are now, but um, they actually looked at that gene. So remember I told you they um, picked they which gene, yeah. this. Yeah, they know the gene. So they actually looked at it in these offspring and in the original dads and moms ultimately that um, were afraid of the smell. And the genes had, were all tagged differently. So the gene in, didn't in, mutate at all. There's nothing different about oh. the sequence. Of, it's just how the tagging worked. And um, so there was a, a difference now in how those tags were put on that particular gene. Um, and again, they only looked in that one area. But obviously, that is not the only thing that must have been changed because you, that just means you would smell differently, right? Um, so that showed that it was something that now was changed in the DNA or on the DNA, this sort of on the surface, that was being passed on to the next generation that now correlated with this irrational fear. So, um, you know, and they've gone on to like, do more studies and try to figure out if, I think the next paper they did was they were trying to untrain the the fear, yeah, right, I'm, and I'm see if it went away it's, it's, and that kind of difficult. stuff. Yeah, but anyway, so, um, I mean, 
you know, if you think about passing traits on to future generations that have to do with boring things like cell function or whatever, I mean, that's that's cool to a scientist and whatever. But what's what's really cool about this is it it's telling us that maybe our behaviors are in part influenced by some genetic overlay that we really don't understand very well at all. And you can pass those behavioral traits on to distant generations without um, realizing it. So then I think about all these diseases that we have suddenly, right, that seem to um, we have like epidemics of certain kinds of diseases in our culture, in our in the in our country, or different. And what if, I mean, so, what if some of them are not anything about what we do today? May, you know, maybe we can't eat broccoli and avoid cheeseburgers and survive some sort of problem. That this is all caused by something that got started like two generations ago, right? That's just or more, longer more things so. for boomers yeah. and millennials to fight about, I guess. But um, so in any event, um, it's it's really fascinating. And of course, you know, people who study these for a living are, you know, dialing down to the, you know, this amino acid of this protein has this group added when this happens. And it's for one gene and one spot. I mean, trying to figure this all out and understand how the the little tags that are on the DNA actually work so that we could look at it and look at how the tags are placed on a gene and go, oh, this is going to happen. I mean, we're a really long ways from that. So um, you want to be really careful. I mean, this would be like the public service announcement of my talk. Um, you want to be really careful about people claiming that if you buy my thing and eat or drink it, because people are now talking about this online, you know, they're selling stuff that says, this, if you drink this potion, it'll make you not, you know, get cancer ever because it, and they use all the right words. They talk about tagging and, and blah, 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 all the stuff. And it sounds really scientific and it sounds really legitimate. But, and, it, and I'm not, deni you know, I'm not saying that some of the things might not do things, right? Um, but I, I can say that we don't know nothing about how this works enough that somebody could confidently say that my bottle of this for 9.99 is going to keep you from ever getting cancer because we don't have enough science behind that at all. I mean, we're not even close. So um, I always try to, you know, just be careful where you spend your money. You can spend your money wherever you want. Um, I am not going to tell you what you can spend your money on or not, but... Um, you know, just be careful about those claims because it's sort of the now high-tech version of the snake oil salesman from back in the day who would run around with their little wagon and sell stuff to treat all your diseases and then disappear in the night, right? So um, anyway, so um, this has been something that I've, so I've been here for 22 years. This will be my 22nd year. And I started teaching this when I first came because it was kind of new-ish. Um, but I've now it's sort of grown into this how, 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 bigger when, thing. When did the whole research on epidemics start? Uh, epigenetics start. I mean, it's been. I mean, it depends on how you define it, because people have known about this tagging for time, thing probably, for yeah. a long time, but it hasn't really become. Um, you know, the techniques had to be developed to actually 
again, kind of dial in to be able to study at, at a molecular level enough to make some sense of it. And those, you know, maybe in the last decade have been improving enough mm. that we can start get a handle on it. But, but it's, so we always talk about this, the genetic code, which most people are familiar with if they've taken anything biology, the little code on table and how a certain set of um, bases in a row encodes a certain amino acid and that's how we know what our proteins look like. Um, so now there's this whole new code, right? And we have to crack that. And they don't even know the, how to say, the substrate who is controlling this process. Well, is it I mean, they know, yes, it is. And there's, is it so cell? there's enzymes involved. And like okay. during development, there's certain enzymes that are produced whose job it is to put the tags on in the appropriate places, whatever the appropriate places are. Mm -hmm. um, but then um, there seems to be a whole bunch of remodeling of that during development as well. So then there's ones that will like take it off of here and they put some, you know, so it's just really, and studying development is really hard, especially in humans, because we obviously can't do it directly because it's unethical and illegal. Um, so they use a lot of model systems, they use mice and stuff like that, and they're trying to see how these enzymes work and how they put the little tags on and whatnot and what the final results are. Um, but, um, and, and that's difficult. The, um, and then there's other folks who are more interested in what happens later. Like, um, so what's happening in my cells right now um, in terms of am I able to put on the tags the right way when my skin cells divide and make two? Or are some of my skin cells getting screwed out of some of these tags and are destined for doom <laughs> of some sort because I'm not providing the right nutrients for that to happen or my enzymes are screwed up somehow because they might they, there could be mutations that screw those up. So there's like, again, this whole layer then of a new code that no one really understands well that has to get learned and understood. But, but there, it's definitely on purpose. It's, it's definitely um, enzyme-driven. Um, somebody asked me once, like, what happens if you don't have that enzyme during development that puts the tags on? And I said, probably dead. You <laughs> I cannot mean, even develop into Yeah, I, I suspect. I mean, I don't know this. Yeah. I've never looked it up to see, but I'm assuming that it's dead because if you can't, put those tags on, you're not producing the products in the right quantities and whatever, in the right ratios, and so development's going to just stop. Plus, there are so many different cells and different organs. You probably have a, and it's, all right, kinds it's gonna of different, different enzymes. And different, yeah, it's going to be different tagging patterns in different cells that control um, how those cells function. Because remember that all of your cells have all of the genes. Yeah, right? a full set. But they don't use them. Right, and so some of this shutting down is is on purpose because there's you might as well, right? Um, but um, but you know what happens if you suddenly don't sh keep this shut down and it pops up? Like, is that you know sometimes you'll just make some protein from it and no big deal. Yeah, so a, it was a waste example, of time. It's kind of scary because even psychological or environmental changes will. Could trigger initiate some of that. Yes. Yeah, some yeah, yeah. some of the process, right? Uh -huh. So it's almost like uh, our body is trying to pass the information learned from the ancestors to the next generation. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I mean, it is. I, I like that idea. Just as a human being, thinking that I have inherited some sort of cool ancestral 
something besides just my DNA, right? That's how we adapt to the environment. The yeah. Problem. If you, we live in the same right. environment as our ancestors, right. right? But it's also really creepy given that, you know, I have now produced two children, who one of whom has produced children. So whatever I was subjecting myself to at the time <laughs> Too much is responsibility. now, <laughs> you know, oops, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, so there's like... Um, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag of, of emotion, I guess. So uh, you mentioned that uh, there isn't the, the, the research in this area is still not that complete or we still don't know yeah. the detailed yeah. mechanics behind it. Uh, are there any treatments or applications of this already or are people <sighs> still waiting for some breakthrough? I don't, I, th I suspect that there are people I don't know. Other I, than I don't why know you said 999. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm the but, everything. Uh, but I, um, I think... I, I'm sure that there are people working on it. I do not know the specific answer to your question, um, but if if they have not found something to, you know, address one of these kinds of diseases at the moment, I'm sure there are people working on it, right? But again, it it gets really complex because a lot of these diseases are. Um, it's not just one gene that is being wonky in terms of how much it's being used. Um, there's going to be multiple different ones, and maybe different people have different sets of them that are not functioning properly um, that kind of lead you to the same disease. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's almost like the, I, I mean, I like to think of the, the, the DNA is the on-off switch, right? So that tells you what proteins you are capable of making that are normal, that work. And then, and then the epigenetics, the tags, are sort of the, the thermostat. Mm -hmm. So it kind of ramps, it, it lets you, fit, it lets a cell make a certain amount or not. So it's more of a, um, you know, once it's on, once you have the, you flip the switch and turn, on, turn it on, now how much are we going to make or how little are we going to make? And that can vary across a bunch of genes that are all sort of, leading to the same potential problem, right? And so you might, so I might get a disease because I, I dialed this one up and dialed this one back, and you might get the same disease because you did the opposite. And that's, again, yeah, that's oversimplified, but, yeah. but yeah. Like, can we even identify for some of the diseases, like what kind of malfunction which is mapped to which kind of disease? Right. Can we even do some of it? Or? So, so you can map it to the genes, like to- But not the text. But, but then to try to map it to what is happening to those genes in terms of up or down or uh -huh. that kind of thing, that's way harder. And I don't think we're not there we're yet. there yet. Yeah, because I was saying like, yeah, this disease, at least for this disease, we know is you have too much. Of this thing. Yeah, too much tag enough. on right. this yeah. part of right. gene. Right. right. So we right. cannot do that yet. No, not. I mean, I'm sure I know people are working. We're trying. It, yeah. But yeah, but diagnosing that way is I think we're kind of far away. Although, you know, people are really fascinated by this and there, there might be some. What other diseases actually are, let's say, more likely to be caused by this kind of thing? Psychological, um, brain? Well, yeah, probably. There's a lot of like, um, so anything, probably any, I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say, <laughs> any disease for which we have not found a gene yet, not but not for lack of trying, is probably this related, right related to so this, like yeah. um, cystic fibrosis is an example of a disease we use all the time in classes it's there's a single gene it 
gets mutations, people have a mutation, you can diagnose it um, by the symptoms, but you can also go into a person's DNA and go, oh, it has a mutation, that's why. Okay, got it. Um, but then there's diseases like heart disease or um, schizophrenia or um, high cholesterol, those kinds of things. And so they have, um, when they look for genes that might be involved, um, it's harder to find them and pinpoint them because in some, let's say that there's 20 different genes involved in heart disease, okay. Somebody might have heart disease because of 10 of those. Somebody else might have heart disease because of a different set of six, right? Plus added to that, it's what you're eating and exercising and all of that stuff, right? So um, trying to find all the genes is hard enough, but now if there's also tagging on top of that, so now you have a person who has mutations in 10 genes, and then six of them are regulated one way and two are the other way, and all of that is leading to, and, oh, and then they eat like cheeseburgers twice a week and maybe a salad once in a while, right? Versus somebody who's like power food person who eats all the right things and does all of that, but has this set of six mutated and this one's up or down and they still get heart disease and they go, what the heck? I, I ate all the things I was supposed to do, but it's, but it's just in addition to the, your environment and what you're, um, you know, doing to try to stay healthy. There's also this genetic bit that you really don't have a lot of control over and we don't understand very well so that you can't even look at somebody and look at their DNA and say, Oh, you know, you should also do these things because even though you're eating healthy and exercising and doing all those things, um, you're probably, and I'm not saying just give up, right? So it's like, don't, yeah, the complexity like, you is know, really because, scary. Yeah, because just because it's hard and just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we don't have a lot of evidence that eating healthy and exercising and all that, that's good for you. So that's all, you know, I'm not saying yeah, just go give it up and just you know, whatever. But, um, but at the most basic level, we don't, we don't know how all of those things are interacting together to help, um, to help manage those diseases. So, um, Do we at least have the technology to record the data? Yes, I'm, okay. I, I suspect. The gene that and happening. also the tagging. I, I mean, only if people are, right? Yeah, so, like, right, so we, we have people patients. So people are doing studies and, yeah. and, they, and they will acquire, you know, they have to go through all the hoops to get permission to get medical records and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, there are studies going on to, to try to collect this information. Some of, the, some of the studies are actually being done by accident, sort of, um, by acquiring information through um, these DNA sites that people pay to have their DNA analyzed. So um, there's a, actually, um, when you donate your DNA to that well, you're not really donating. You're Uplo paying them to take your. Yeah. You're paying them to take your DNA. Um, they now kind of own that, right? So they, so and now um, there are certain groups who are taking that collection of DNA information, and you know, not on an individual level where I can go you, mm -hmm. but on a group level that this many people, this is what their genomes look like. And 
and then this is what we said they might have, and if you can associate that with a medical record and figure out what they actually did get is a legal a thing result, to do? It could be as long as they have, you know, as long as they've gone through the proper channels to get permission and that you have signed a yeah. consent form well, you, to well, you allow you upload that your to gene, you. actually you need to You are agree automatically that. Yeah. agreeing that you no longer are in charge of this anymore. <laughs> Which is a little disturbing. I mean, I didn't do it for a really long time, and then I finally did. Not to find out my health information, but I was interested in the ancestry end of things. Um, so I was convinced by my yeah. I remember kids after the that. after they captured the Golden Golden State serial yes, killer, yes, yeah, they yeah. now put a disclaimer like yes. every gene you upload exactly. there, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that, you understand what we're going to use it for yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then people, I I actually looked at that too. They that people still were, there's more people who have uploaded their data to that site since they put the disclaimer on than there were before. And I don't think it's because, like, I want to get all my relatives in trouble. I think they're, <laughs> it's just people were going to do it anyway, and that just doesn't deter them. I mean, I actually taught about this in a class this fall mm -hmm. and said, would you put your DNA on a site like this if you knew that this is a potential outcome that um, people could infiltrate the site and use it to find a cold case killer or something who is related to you. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> Except for one who would not put their DNA up anywhere ever, 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 ever. But everybody, just because it's mine and I don't want anybody to have it. So it was like a, um, you know, a protection, like this is private to me and I'm never, and, but everybody else in the class was like, sure, if my, you know, great great uncle sixth removed is a murderer. He should go to jail. <laughs> so nobody really cared at all. So I guess that's how interesting. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to actually have a chance, maybe in a podcast or some class, just talk about uh, ethics of data. Yeah. This is actually exactly the point yeah. where you have the security, which means people cannot hack your site, but also privacy, which right. means please leave my data alone. Right. And yeah. don't try to use that thing to retrieve more information from right. it. Because if you just hide your gender or race, we can easily predict that. With yeah, there's all kinds of really accuracy. scary things about yeah. that. So hiding yeah. it won't help. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's no way. There's nowhere to hide anymore, actually. Okay, <laughs> so uh, I think that's pretty much it. Okay. We try to, we're planning for an hour, and yeah. we are going to hit an right hour. now, and I will actually awesome. let you go for your meetings. Perfect, Okay, awesome. thank you so much all for right. joining us. It was, it was really fun talking to you. Thanks. All right.